Um, I think many of you will recognize, you know who this man is. How many of you know? Yeah, all right. Many of you have made the trip. So this is my very good friend, Ruben Zeusman, his wife, Galit, sitting right up here on the front. They're in Denver right now. Um, they're actually in the States for a couple of weeks, and they're doing a little bit of business, a little bit of pleasure. He's been, he told me he shopped today until he dropped. That's literally what his, his words were, correct? correct? Shopped until he dropped. So the American way, right, right there, uh, adopting our customs. Anyway, uh, with them here this weekend, they spent Thanksgiving with us, and it was a wonderful time. And whenever he's here, I ask him if he'd take a few minutes and just uh, greet everybody and uh, just share his heart for a minute. So do me a favor and welcome our good friend, Ruben Zeusman today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor John. Shalom. Is anybody here feeling sababa? Yes? All right. From the, the uh, low response I'm gathering, there are not too many Rufianites in the crowd. How many Rubianites are in the crowd? All right, we've got a few. These are people that have come to Israel and have learned a few words, uh, just giving you a reason right there why to come. But you know, uh, those of you that have been coming to Jubilee for some time know that this is not my first rodeo. I've been presenting here, and every time I have the challenge and I sit before we uh, embark on the, this uh, service and I come up to greet, there's a negotiation that goes on with John. How many minutes do I get? He wins, I lose. <laughs> but this time, you know, he added, we've, we've added another challenge, and that is, boy, do you, do you guys like your new building? All right, let's hear for the new building. Awesome, I love it. But the other challenge that that adds to the little bit of time that I'm given is to find your way around in this building. <laughs> Who gets lost? Anybody still gets lost? Okay, well, I guess it's going to take some getting used to. Uh, you'll be here every week. I'll come once a year or something like that. But it's great to be here on behalf of Galita and myself. I want to thank you for having us. And it's always good to come back and to greet people, some familiar and known faces and some new faces that I hope to become familiar with when you come over to our side of the Atlantic and visit the Holy Land. Just a few quick things that I want to tell you. You know, I will be trying to <laughs> keep to the schedule. What do I got? Three minutes. Okay. So, you know, when you first arrive, I tell you my version of uh, Mission Impossible, and that is how to get 66 Jewish families to agree about something. Very profound as for how, who gets which plot of land in the new city of Tel Aviv. I won't tell you the whole story, for the whole story you'll have to come to Israel, but I'll tell you that it has a surprising ending. And the Mission Impossible uh, Jubilee version is this, to tell you about the Holy Land and why you should come and what it has going for it. So, you know, it's a land that attracts people of all faiths. You don't need to be Jewish, Christian, Muslim, or any member of any other faith to appreciate what's going on in Israel, how deep the roots of those three monotheistic religions are in Israel. Uh, pilgrimage is something that is done by all three in the Jewish tradition that derives from the times the temple was still around and it was customary to make a trip to Jerusalem to um, visit the temple and make an offering there and the three occasions that was done, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. In the Muslim tradition, it is more related to being in the place where they believe all sorts of things that you'll hear more details about when you come to Israel. In the Christian tradition, it's actually based on interpretation of words that were spoken by Jesus, telling his disciples and telling the people, come and I'll show you my house. Where is his house? Well, it ain't here. It's in Israel. And by coming to Israel, you get to follow the footsteps of Jesus, see what you've been learning about and hearing about all your lives as believers, and see it not only in black and white, but in color. Okay? Um, along the lines of things that have to do with the modern state of Israel, a miracle that happened some 24 and a half years ago, May 14, 1948, state was proclaimed. And since then, Israel has reached a lot of uh, accomplishments, faced a lot of challenges. And I just want to mention a few things that uh, Israel is proud of. The first thing is in the tech scene. For those of you that are into tech, it is a place for you to come. It is a booming 
tech scene in terms of successful startups that materialize into viable, successful, active, sustainable companies per capita, Israel is the number one in the world, right? Number one. Um, Israel is an interesting place because a lot goes on there. And there's always things that uh, about them it would be right to say to you if you happen to be at any given time in Israel, the following is always true. You've come at interesting times. Now, how many of you know of a country that has had five election campaigns in four years, in less than four years? We think, God willing, that we're on the verge of a sustainable government that will actually last its four years. So, you know, you want to see how we do it? You've got to come over and <laughs> we'll show you. But all laughs aside, I mean, it really is an amazing thing. And the fact is that when it comes to the presence of the foreign press that covers what's going on in a country, Israel is number three in the world. Not in per capita, but in absolute numbers. At any given time, there are a few thousand reporters and correspondents for networks, for newspapers, for TV uh, channels that are covering what's going on in Israel. It's just a fascinating place. Uh, just to give you an idea uh, in, to get some proportion, who is in second position? That is Brussels, which happens to be both the headquarters of NATO and of the European Union. And then number one is Washington, D.C. Well, I think the measurements say it all. Israel is about the size of New Jersey. We fit into the United States about 450 times. Uh, so, you know what? You guys take number one. We'll take number three. It's fine. Um, all this said, of course, there's a lot more. But as we established at the beginning, my time is limited. I want to encourage you all to think about, and I know that in the near future, the next Israel trip is going to be announced. I want to encourage you to sign up, and you can hear testimony from people that have been. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in Israel. I want to, on behalf of Galit and myself, thank you for your hospitality. And congratulations on the new building. It is Awesome. It is Sababa. Can you say that word with me, everybody, even those that have not been? Sababa. All right. Your building is? Very good. All right. I was a little low, but for the first time, we'll do more practice in Israel. Thank you very much. God bless you. <laughs> okay. Two things. Uh, one, you went over your time, so next year you get two minutes. That's it. Um, <laughs> He is, and we, we tease each other a lot, uh, very close to bring someone into your, uh, your family, um, is the highest form of honor that we can give to anyone to make them a part of our family, and they've made us a part of theirs. He is the finest guide in all of Israel, and of course I am biased, but the very first time I wasn't biased. I got that from, at the time, the finest guide in Israel. Um, my pastor, Pastor Stalker, you remember he said he's been 26 times. And I never set that out to be the goal that I'll match, and I don't know. We'll see. God willing? Yeah, you will. I will. Yeah, yes, God willing. If my, yeah, if my kids produce. <laughs> he said, as long as your kids continue to reproduce. Um, the inside joke to that is the thing that Chris and I have put in our heart to do is to take all of our grandchildren at least once, and um, we're, we're not quite, quite there yet. And so Ruben's saying, as long as the kids keep reproducing, we'll keep going to Israel over and over again. Oh, Ruben, I can't believe you said that. Um, <laughs> but he really is the finest guy in all of Israel. He's a wealth of knowledge. The people that go and that come back, one of the things that's always a 10 out of 10 is that they'll tell us the guide was just, it was above and beyond anything that you ever said. And I'll tell you the honest truth, the guide makes or breaks a trip for you, right? A guide that has to be in the limelight and the be all, end all, see all can just ruin the trip. But a guy who knows how to tell you the right amount of information and then get out of the way so that you can experience the moment. You can experience the Lord. You can experience the sight. You can experience either the history, the prophecy, whatever it is that we're looking at at that moment. He really is um, 
an incredible guide. And I would encourage you, if you have it in your heart that you'd like to go to the Holy Land, uh, here's, here's the 2023 trip. I'll give you the date real quick and when the uh, information meeting will be. So uh, it will be August 20th through the 30th of 23. August 20th through 30th. The informational meeting, the interest meeting, is going to be Saturday, January 14th. Now, if you go to the meeting, it doesn't obligate you to go to Israel. It's to come check out what's the agenda, what's the price, um, how do you work that. Uh, all the information that you would need would be at that meeting right there. And I tell everyone this right here. If you have it in your heart to go, um, maybe you've been praying about it. Maybe this is the first time you've even considered it, thought of it. If it's in your heart, I believe that God puts it there because he wants to satisfy it. It's not a vacation. It's not going on, hey, let me go, let me go see this and we're all going to, we'll get up at 11 and we'll be done by 2 in the afternoon. We are going to run where Jesus walked. And I say that and people laugh at that and then I take them and they're like, you weren't kidding, were you? No, I'm not, not kidding. It's a trip to see. It's not a trip to go and sit in a hammock. But it's a spiritual event. One of the best investments you can ever make in your life is to invest in yourself spiritually. You're doing it to be here tonight, to be a part of what God is doing. I would encourage you to go to Israel. It is life-changing. It's a memory you'll have forever. And um, it's our desire to take our grandchildren, yes, to have brought all of our children. It's a fulfillment. But more than anything, when we're able to take our church to go and see it for themselves, the fulfillment in our hearts as pastors. I used to preach on it and preach on it and preach on it. And the Lord told me, if you'll take people, I'll do more in 10 days than you'll do in 20 years. Um, and that is the truth. God can do more in a moment than we can do working really hard. You agree with that statement? So if you're interested, want to invite you January 14th. Uh, we'll do the meeting right after the Saturday night service. And I'll remind you a couple of more times uh, before we get there. Um, and then I've just got one other thing real quick that I was going to share. This receipt... I took, um, the last couple of weeks I've been taking some of the older grandkids out to have a cinnamon roll with me. And uh, this was from last Friday. This is the first time that this has happened to me. Uh, on here is a senior discount for 10%. It's okay, unless you didn't ask for it. Then there's a big assumption that somebody made about you. Now I appreciate 10%, don't get me wrong. I'm not cursing that, but I didn't ask for that. And the weird thing was, that was Friday, and I took Ezra with me on Friday. And then on Monday, I picked up Malachi, which is Daniel and Holly's oldest boy, and I take him to GameStop to get a video game. And the woman at the counter goes, hey, this is really awesome that you brought your son to get a video game. So how do you go from this elderly, decrepit old man? Why am I looking at you, Terry? I do not know. I just happen to turn my head that way. To someone that they assume you have a little six-year-old kid. I don't know how to explain that, but hurt my feelings, and I was so bitter about it, I wanted to share it with you, but I'm better now, so there we go. All right, here's what we're doing. Uh, we begin our Christmas series this weekend. Can you believe that? Christmas series. Do you have a good Thanksgiving? Yes. Terry made a joke about it. It was a great Thanksgiving. It was our on year, meaning because we have married children, so we go every other, right? They'll spend time with, with their parents, and then come spend time with us, and this was our on year. 26 people at our Thanksgiving celebration. Three turkeys, man. A Cajun turkey, which is the best, um, a baked turkey, and then a smoked turkey. And we had, yeah, we had Thanksgiving. We're still eating Thanksgiving and will be for many more days to come, correct? Yes, yes okay. That's what I wanted to hear. So um, we start then this weekend, though. What's that thumping, bumping? No, I want to use this mic, but is it something wrong with it? There's a mouse inside of it. Yeah, hand me that real quick and let me... Here, I'm going to talk amongst yourselves for just a moment. There. How's that? Is that better? Okay. So we start our Christmas series this weekend called The Greatest Gifts. It's plural because we're going to talk for the next several weeks about the gifts that we get at Christmas. And the greatest gift is who? It's Jesus. Good giving it away right up front. So here's my question to begin with. What do you look most forward to about the Christmas season? Now, if your answer is for it to be all over with, listen, Scrooge. Okay, I used to be that person, and I understand that. And you'll probably say, it's too commercial, it's too expensive, there's too much family, there's too much pressure. So let me tell you this. I prayed for God to change my heart. 
I prayed that I would get back to the meaning of Christmas, the understanding of Christmas, and the blessing of Christmas. And the Lord did a tremendous thing to go beyond the commercialism of it, to go beyond the busyness of it, and to really celebrate Jesus during this time. It's a wonderful thing. And I think probably the biggest thing that changed my heart about it was that I had grandchildren. And I wanted my grandchildren to enjoy this time. And I didn't want to be the grandpa that they remembered who hated Christmas. There's a movie right there, The Grandpa Who Hated Christmas. So I wanted to be the one who enjoyed that and appreciated that and enjoyed them. So I wrote down some of the things about Christmas that I think people like. How about the lights? You enjoy the lights? Chris and I used to hang lights. Some of the worst fights we ever got in were hanging Christmas lights. Anybody else want to be honest about But Mostly because I was hanging them. I, would, I wouldn't do it on a day like today when it was almost 60 degrees. I'd wait till it went below zero to go out and hang it. And then Chris would be so kind as to come out and point to me which light was not in the right place. So I'm hanging off a gutter and a ladder trying to adjust the light. And we would, yeah, I, I, yeah. So we don't hang lights anymore at our house. We do them here at the church, but we pay somebody to come and do them here at the church. How about decorations? Do you enjoy decorations? Do you enjoy Christmas music? I noticed on uh, XM Radio, they started Christmas music the very first week of November this year. And I've been listening to Christmas music already. Our son Brent, who's listening right now at home, uh, always tells me I'll sing Christmas carols to get in the season. And Brent will be like, Dad, you can't start that until after Thanksgiving. So I have to sing them even louder for his sake. (laughs) And he told me this morning, when I got up, that it was okay now to begin singing. (laughs) How about the shows? Terry mentioned the shows that are on TV. Some people set their schedule around some of the shows that will come on. Chris's favorite too, Terry, is It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, We had um, Carolyn Grimes, who played Zuzu, in that. She's the only living character left, and she came to Jubilee a few years ago. Chris did an event with that and had her here. And we've got a signed picture, Zuzu's Petals, uh, that comes up at Christmas time at our house. One of our cherished, one of Chris's cherished uh, memories. How about parties? Christmas parties? Family? I say that one more time. Family? It's like if you disagree, but you're sitting with your family, act like you're excited. How about Christmas Eve services? Yeah, good job. Pastor Terry will do the 11 o'clock this year, and um, we'll put signs up this week for all the Christmas services. Uh, One, three, and five will be the Christmas services on Christmas Eve, and then Terry will do the 11 o'clock for us, and that's more of a traditional service for those who like the candles and more of the liturgy. But I was thinking what my favorite one, and maybe, I, I don't know if you thought about it, all the ones that I just said, what do you look the most forward to? I left out one thing. Anybody catch what it was? Ah, food is a good one. Who said it? Presents, gifts, presents. My love language is presents, man. That's, I love to get a present. And my kids will tell me, Dad, you're the hardest person in the world to buy for. And I'm like, that's not true. Here's the three things I want. I want yoke to be the third in a row MVP for the Nuggets. I want the Avs to repeat as world champions. And I want the Broncos to score at least 21 points in a game. You agree with that right then? That's not a negative against the Broncos. I love the, I'm living and dying with the Broncos right now. Mostly dying. But living with them, and I'd just like them to score 21 points. And the other team to only score 20. How about that? That would be a good Christmas present. Or anything expensive will work also, Amy. So, love presents. So when I think about presents and the ultimate gift that's been given to us, uh, that's where this series is going to go. I'm going to use for my text this week in the book of Isaiah. So let me give you a little background on Isaiah real quick, and then I'll read some scriptures to you. Uh, Isaiah lived. He was a prophet, a major prophet uh, in what we call the Old Testament of the Bible. And Isaiah lived in the 8th and 7th centuries before Jesus was born. So he prophesied, listen to this, more than 700 years before Christ was born. Now, I want you to get the the understanding of this. His prophecies all through the book of Isaiah, and I'm going to read you a few of them, he prophesies more about the coming of Christ, who he is, what his message will be, the virgin birth, I'm going to show you the scripture here in just a minute, his death and resurrection, what his good news would be. He, it, it, the odds of him being right on all of his prophecies about Jesus are actually higher odds than winning the lottery. And I looked this up. There are over, uh, there's a, a, a scholar who actually researched this. 
The, the Bible has almost 500 prophecies that foretell of the coming of Jesus in one way or the other, and Jesus has fulfilled all 500 of those prophecies. Just think about that for a minute. Because if you doubt the existence of it, I mean, even on the basis that for sure you can prove that he existed, that he was, but if you don't believe he's the son of God, how do you explain the prophecy part of it? 500 prophecies. And so I'm going to begin with Isaiah 9, 6. Look at this scripture. For a child is born to us and a son is what? Love the word given. Because to give something means it's a present, correct? Even John 3, 16, God so loved that he that he gave his one and only sons. They mirror each other, Old Testament and New Testament. And then this is one of the prophecies about Jesus. The government will rest upon his shoulders. And he will be called, say it with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So this weekend, I'm going to cover on and for Wonderful Counselor and the Prince of Peace. And as I said, Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born. This is interesting. Isaiah was prophesying to a nation that was spiritually asleep. Not dead, but asleep. Israel at this time in their history had strayed from God. In the book of Isaiah, God had said to Isaiah, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are very far from me. Would you not agree that America mirrors that today? People who claim a Christian heritage, an understanding of who Christ is. And Terry mentioned it, that, that little uh, uh, saying that he said when he was doing announcements, he sent it to me. Literally, a prediction is that the Christian church in the next two decades will phase from being. Now, here's the thing that they don't take into account. They don't take into account that God will show up. They don't take into account that revival can happen in any generation at any given time. And they don't take into account, it's written more about mainline denominations as opposed to churches that are holding on to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that church, I don't think in any way, shape, or form is close to dying out. In fact, if we see anything today, especially in the group that I hang out with and that I see, they're growing right now. They're doing fantastically well right now. I think they're speaking more of mainline denominations. And here's what I would say about that. Many mainline denominations have left orthodoxy and now embrace anything that's going on in culture and hold that to be truer than what Scripture says. I, you can call that anything that you want to, but I would say you leave orthodoxy. What are you offering to people? Culture? I don't see any answer in culture. So if the church then becomes nothing more than a reflection of the culture around it, rather than the truth of scripture and the truth of Christ, no wonder it's going to fade. It should fade. I'll say that over here to this side. Any church that leaves orthodoxy and removes Christ from being the son of God, from the virgin birth, from the death, burial, and resurrection, that he is who he said he is and that faith in Jesus is the only way to salvation. Any church that loses that shouldn't exist today. And maybe you're like, Pastor, that's pretty judgmental. <laughs> Welcome to Jubilee. <laughs> can accuse me of a lot of things, but being uh, fuzzy would not be one of those things right there. So in Isaiah 9, 6, we have a prophecy that Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. A child will be born and a son will be given. Some of them are to be fulfilled. The government will rest upon his shoulders. That has not happened yet, but it will happen. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And how could that happen? I've said my opinion is that if Jesus returns, it will solve all arguments. Either for or against us. So Isaiah is prophesying to a people who at the time were spiritually asleep. I think that it kind of mirrors the U.S. today and many places. God says these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and Isaiah is sent to that group of people to prophesy the coming of Messiah, to wake the people of God up, to wake the nation up, and to say unto them, hey, this is real, it's going to happen. Be ready, be watching. So then we move in, and I'll, I'll just read a few of these. They'll put them up on the, on the board so that you can see them. Here, here's a prophecy of Jesus' coming, Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Listen. It's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight a highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. 
Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. If you'll remember, when John the Baptist stood up and began to proclaim Jesus, he was that scripture right there. He claimed that scripture and said his job was to prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of the Lord. And if you'll remember, how many Jewish people at that time were coming to Jesus? So many that the ruling hierarchy became jealous and wanted to kill him. But it wasn't just Jewish people that were coming to Jesus. The Bible says that soldiers were coming out. Roman soldiers were coming out and being baptized. It says that people traveling to Jerusalem from all parts of the world were coming to hear the message of salvation, the message of life, the good news, the gospel is what that means. And they were coming to Jesus. It was a revival. So John the Baptist was the preparer for the way of the Lord. And it was a prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born that this was going to happen. How about this one? His virgin birth. To me, this is just, it's remarkable. Isaiah 7, 14. And right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Here's the sign. Look, the who. So, now look, how many virgin births are there? One a year? One in all of history? Regardless of what's claimed, only one in all of history. So th to say, to look at the word, the virgin will conceive a child? Thank you for that overwhelming, powerful, that floors us, Pastor John, what a teacher. One more, no, it's too late. The virgin <laughs> will conceive a child emphatically. She will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of the names of Jesus is... Emmanuel, God with us. God sent to the earth to be with us. I, does that not? Ah, that's prophecy, man. Born of a virgin. Uh, how about then Isaiah 61? This is Jesus' good news. This is going to be his message. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring. That means gospel, right? Gospel means good news. To the poor, he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. The very first time Jesus ministers in Nazareth, in the synagogue, he walks into the synagogue, he's handed uh, the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, he opens it to 61 and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news, to set at liberty the captives, to heal the brokenhearted, to open blinded eyes. And then he closes it and said, this is fulfilled in your hearing today. And the people were so mad at him, Reuben, what did they do in Nazareth? Chased him to the brow of the hill. Do we go to the brow of the hill? And he passes through them, doesn't he? Because it wasn't his time to die. Reuben knows the scriptures so very well, but I teach them better uh, than he does. So <laughs> come to Israel with us so you can go to that brow of the hill. Dude, I stand on the brow of the hill where they took Jesus to throw him off the cliff after saying that. And the Bible says that they, they're ready to kill him and he just walks his way right through the people. Like God held them back and they couldn't do anything about it because it wasn't his time. And it's a power, I preached, I preached that message standing right on that brow of the hill. Love to have you there, Joe. It'd be a lot of fun. It would just be so much fun to have you there. But look at this prophecy. Guys, do you not, can you, ah. So, I mean, I know I'm almost 60, but I'm not dumb. Come on, that's, that's powerful right there. Uh, how about this from Isaiah 53? Now, I'm going to read all of 53. It's only, I think, 12 verses, so don't be too nervous about that. But I want to read this whole chapter is a, a prophecy that's been fulfilled through Jesus about uh, the birth, the growth, and then that Jesus would take the sin of the world upon himself. So I just want you, this is 700 years before he ever walked on the face of the earth. Think about that. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Do you know that one of the uh, physical evidences that we have for Jesus' existence was a man named Josephus? And Josephus was not a Christian. Josephus was a Jewish man. This is one of the things Reuben teaches when we we're there too. When Rome took over, they basically offered to him, you can work with us or we'll kill you. And so he decided to work with them. And so some people consider him historian because we have all of his writings, but some people in Israel consider him a traitor because he worked with the Romans rather than laid down his life. 
to the governing people that were against the Jews. But what we have is that he was a historian who wrote down different facts. And what makes it interesting, he's not writing the Bible. He's not cooperating the Bible. He wasn't a believer. But his writings help to prove what the Bible says is true. One of the things that Josephus witnessed was Jesus. And he writes about Jesus. And one of the things that Josephus says about Jesus, remember, he's not writing scripture. He says of Jesus, he was not a very good-looking person. He was not someone that people would be attracted to. What do we have right here? There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. Ah, He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. What did Jesus do? Look at the prophecy of this. (laughs) He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. You remember when they brought him in front of Pilate? And it actually quotes this. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Think about the symmetry of how it fulfilled all of these things. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a Joseph of Arimathea. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. This is somewhat difficult to understand unless you understand that we crushed Jesus and that God's plan, look, God is holy and just and sin has a price. The wages of sin is death. There was no way for God to wink at it or turn his back on it. Someone had to pay the price. And if you and I prayed it, it would cause us death. But Jesus paid it for us so that he got what we deserved and we get what he deserved. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servants will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous, for he will bear all their sins. (laughs) I will give him the house of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted amongst the rebel. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. God, is that unbelievable? 700 years before Jesus lives on the earth and he fulfilled that so perfectly. How can you hear that and not believe? How you have to intentionally harden your heart or turn away from the truth of Scripture to say, ah, oh, it's just all coincidence. No way is it coincidence. No way is it some grand uh, uh, deception amongst the nations. It's the truth of God to the nations and the promises of God that through Jesus, life is given the good news. So let me, uh, let me change gifts. If you are uh, taking notes and you want the two fill in the blanks, here's his gift to us today that we're going to talk about. He's the wonderful counselor. Isaiah 9, 6 says a son is given to us and he will be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Wonderful counselor. How about this? Can you agree with this? To appreciate good counsel, uh, sometimes you have to compare it to bad counsel. Anyone in this room ever been given bad counsel? Don't be like someone invited me to this church and I went. That's not bad counsel. Um, I, I've got two for you. Uh, that here, here's two pieces of bad counsel I could think of. Uh, about, it was 2014, 2015, we were either building the new building in Lone Tree or we had just got into the new building. And there was a guy in the church that came to me and said, Pastor, um, if, you'll, uh, if you can get your hands on $10,000, 
He said, I can help you double or triple that money in the stock market. Now, you know the question I didn't ask? Can you show me that you've actually done that with your money? I took him on his word. Now, and I, anybody in here, for you to get $10,000, would it be precious to you? Would it be hard fought to get it? I mean, I didn't even have $10,000 to invest. I actually took a second mortgage to get $10,000. And within a month, we lost all the money. And then I asked the guy, how often does this happen? And he said, it's happened to me every time I've invested, Pastor. (laughs) Now, who's the dummy? Me or him? You can say it. (laughs) Who said that, Ruben? Oh, Ryan. (laughs) He acted so sure. And he he had, I, I looked at his lifestyle, and here's where I made... I made a terrible decision. I assumed that his lifestyle represented uh, income. His lifestyle represented credit. Yes? So I've said this before, man. We live in a place of high income but little wealth. So people live large, but it's what are they, in Texas they call it, uh, you know, uh, big hat, no cattle. <laughs> And then recently, a pastor friend of mine told me, you should invest in Bitcoin. And in particular, he said, let's buy into FTX. I didn't do it. FTX went from 32 billion to zero in a week's time. One week's time and claimed bankruptcy last week. My only point is, The Bible says that he's a wonderful counselor, and I'm just talking about counsel right now. The difference between good and bad counsel is everything, right? So let me give it to you another way. What you don't want is people who don't know to be giving you counsel. So like if you have children, you do not want someone who's a bad parent or doesn't have children giving you advice on how to raise children. I told my story about my pastor friend that when he first started out before he got married he wrote a book on how to raise children right and then he got married and had children and he actually asked his people please bring the book back to me and I'll buy it back from you I was so wrong in everything that I wrote have you ever done that like you know one of his points was when you're in the supermarket and the child is screaming and fussing don't lose that battle oh on the surface that seems so brilliant How many of you have ever lost that battle? Let's be honest with me. The ones who don't raise their hand have no children, do you? You have no, you don't understand. They put it at eye level for a reason, and we suffer embarrassment for a reason. When those two things come together, the will of a child at two and the embarrassment of an adult at 40 or 30 or whatever, it's a losing battle. Yes or no? You, and so this guy writes, never lose that battle. Then he has children and lost the battle and said, please, send me my book back. I was so wrong. You don't want advice from someone who doesn't know giving you advice. How about marriage? Do you want someone not married or not good in marriage to tell you how to be married? How helpful is that? Well, here's what not to do. Like, in other words, just don't be stupid and you'll be okay. I, it, You know, tomorrow they'll laugh much more than you guys did. And I don't know. I'm a funny guy. Let's be honest with you. I am. And you are missing it big time in here. You're letting me down in front of my friend Ruben. And I do not appreciate that. So, John, I'll have you come up here and see if you can do better. So, here is this, just the idea that when it comes to counsel, you don't want bad counsel. You want good counsel. And Jesus is called a wonderful counselor. So my point just simply is, how many of you right now are going through something in life where you need good counsel? So I mess with finances for a minute. You know, Revelations chapter 3, this is prophecy. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy pure gold from me. Now, I don't think he's talking about the gold of this world. I think he's talking about spiritual things. But isn't it interesting how he uses something we can get our mind around? Come to me if you need good advice. You're getting a lot of people who give you a lot of advice about a lot of things, how to live your life, 
what's important, what's true, what works, what doesn't work, how to make it through tricky times. But what you want is someone who actually knows how to get you through those things. And that's who Jesus is. And he invites you to come to him when you're weary, when you're tired, when you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Bring it to him and he will give you rest and peace and counsel. He's a good counselor. So one of the things that we've been doing at the end of service, uh, if you've been here, I, we've got people that um, they're skilled in how to pray for people. And I felt like one of the things that the Lord told me to do was to open the altars at the end of service because God can do more in a moment than I'm going to be able to do staying here my whole life and trying to pastor this church. God can do more in a moment than I'll be able to do the whole time I'm your pastor. And that'll be 25 years next year. And I'm admitting to you, in one moment, God can do more than I've done in 25 years. One moment of his favor is better than everything I can do for you. And I feel like we need that. So here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to do. Don't wait to the end. When you get to the part where you're talking about good counsel and what I can do, pray for people who need good counsel. So what in your life do you need good counsel about right now? What are you dealing with? I mentioned marriage, I mentioned finances, I mentioned children. But how many other things are there? Business, relationships, the economy right now. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. And even though it's not our home, we're still affected by what goes on here. How do you make it? Honestly, how do you get your children through this time? How do you do that? Part of me last week, you know, guys, Colorado's become the mass shooting capital. Columbine lets something in. We're first in abortion. Listen to me. We're first with marijuana, and we're first with mass shootings. And it's let something in in our state. And even if you disagree with me politically or whatever you think, at least agree with me that we're seeing more of it in our lifetime than we ever have seen before. Those of you around my age, plus 10, minus 10, we did not grow up with this, yes or no? What has happened? So then I think I had this really wicked thought, man, I'm glad I've raised my children already. But then on Thanksgiving, I've got more grandchildren, three times more than I had children. How will they get through this world? That puts fear in me. Anybody else? And then I'm reminded, we're not of the world, but we're in the world. And we're not in the world to succumb to the world but we're in the world to shine a light in this world. That when it's dark, God raises up a standard. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the standard is raised up. The resistance to that, the wall against that, the levy against that, part of that's the Holy Spirit and part of that's his church. Your generation, your generation, your generation, your generation, your generation, your generation. It's not a lost generation. It's not a hopeless cause. The church will not extinguish because this generation doesn't get it. This generation needs our prayers. This generation needs us to agree that revival can happen. This generation just needs to be broken from the thing that's caused us to go to sleep. Ah, yes or no? And and if you're like, Pastor, we're not asleep. We're here. I'm us, capital U. All the people not here. How's that? You get what I mean? We can't call it done. We can't call it over. What do you need good counsel on right now? Hmm. You know, I I said two weeks ago, I was right here. And I said, uh, I said it on Sunday. I didn't say it Saturday. But I said on Sunday, Hear my heart, okay? Don't, don't judge me. Just hear my heart. I'm being transparent. I said 
it's in a time in my life where I feel a little lost right now. And people have trouble when a pastor says that because the pastor's never supposed to feel lost. It's like, you can feel lost, but we got to know that you don't. No, I can fake that. And I can stand up here and say something. But I, I don't think that helps. If you want to impress people, hey, I don't struggle. But if you want to impact people, I'm struggling, but God's getting me through it. So I can help you get through this too. We'll do it together. So I just make the statement, I just feel a little lost right now. Like we got in the building, I thought there would be more momentum than there is right now. I thought things would go to a little bit of, I've had to fight more than I've ever had to fight before. I've had to go back to, what did God tell me? Stick to that thing, stand on that thing. Stand up for who you know you are. Don't succumb to the feeling of what's going on in the world. Just even, even the shootings this last, I just feel, am I even doing any good? Take that on myself like it's my fault. No way is it my fault. But I feel like that's what I preach against sometimes, right? We can't become, we can't succumb to that. We can't become that and we can't go down that road. Different people, man. God's called us to be different people. And so sometimes I just feel, man, I, so I say that. You can't believe how many emails I got. I knew you were feeling lost. Could hear it in what you were saying. You know what I don't need? Other lost people telling me what it means to be lost. I'm sorry. I need people to pray for me. I need people who just agree, pastor, it's all good. We got your back. We're with you. You know how good it is to hear, I got your back and mean it? Come on. Like, don't mistake my humility for weakness. And don't mistake my vulnerability for being in a bad place spiritually. I'm in a great place spiritually. But I just feel a little lost with everything going on right now. Anybody else feel that way? You know what I need? Good counsel right now. Some of that is just hold tight, man. Stand strong. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't be overwhelmed by everything going on. Do you feel overwhelmed? Uh, I'm just saying what's out there right now. Okay. Um, I got a few. Reuben took up all my time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you'll pay me back in Israel. <laughs> so I know this is not the most clever way to do this. Um, and it's not the most hidden way to do it. But perhaps it's the most authentic and vulnerable way to do this because before the Lord... We always want to be authentic, and we always want to be open and vulnerable. Do you agree with that? Yeah. If you need good counsel right now, if you're struggling with something, if it's overwhelming you, if in front of everybody else you've put on the good face, but you don't know what you're going to do, or you don't know what to do, If you just find yourself in that place and you're crying out, God, help me, then I believe that's what this is. This is the Lord's answer to that. And so I feel like I'm supposed to say I need you to stand to your feet if you need good counsel right now. Just be bold. Be vulnerable. Be real. Be humble. Be bold. Be brave. Put pride down. If you're sitting there and your heart's beating really fast and you wish you would have stood, stand. Stand. Trust the Lord right now. Trust his goodness and his mercy. Trust that this isn't some... <laughs> now, look around. Because what I need you to do if you're sitting down is to find somebody standing next to you and I want you to go stand with them right now. The body is going to minister to the body. And if you don't feel equipped for that or able for that, can you just go and stand there? Can you just agree with me when I pray? And I don't want anybody that's standing to be standing alone. Please. Pastors, help me. 
People mature in our body help me. People who feel comfortable in our body help me. I don't want anybody standing alone. I've got some folks over here. My left, your right. Church, I need you to step out right now. If you're like, I came to relax. Wrong night. <laughs> Literally, wrong night. That's not why we're here. We came for God to interrupt our lives. We came because we need God. If you're standing, you don't have somebody with you, would you hold your hand up real quick? Let me see where you are. Everybody covered? Who's, who's got their hand? I'm the short guy in the room. I need, I need help. Anybody standing by themselves? Got them? Everybody covered? Okay, Father, Lord, you see the needs represented in this room. And God, we didn't come. Lord, we didn't come for a show. And God, we didn't come for some emotional push. Father, we've come because we need you. Your people, called by your name, humble themselves right now, God, and they pray. They seek your face, God. You promised that you would hear. That you would turn your face to us. You would forgive our sin and that you would bring healing to us, to our land. Father, so many needs represented in standing here. Lord, we're not asking what the need is. We know you know what the need is. God, if it's health, if it's emotions, Father, if it's anxiety, if it's overcome with just fear, if it's needing to know how to parent and walk with children, if it's parents' hearts who are broken for their children right now, if we look at our nation and we're confused on how to even respond to what's going on, God, if it's finances, if it's marriages, if it's business, if it's investments. God, you're concerned about all of those things in our life. It's not just holy things, Lord. It's all of our life, God. And Father, we just pour our hearts out to you right now. You're the God who's able. You're the God who's more than enough. You're the God who heals the brokenhearted, who opens blind eyes, who sets at liberty captives. God, you raise the dead back to life. Father, what's dead in our lives, God, we surrender it to you. It needs to be touched, God. God, we pray in our church, God, you would send revival. God, in our young people, that you would send revival. God, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out fresh and new on us and that people who come and, and witness what's going on here will have to say, God is in their midst. Father, we ask for that. God, in humility, we just stand before you and we just say, Father, there is no answer other than the one that you'll give. And there is no hope other than the hope that you'll give. And Father, look forward to breakthrough. You promised breakthrough. Look, can you not perceive I'm doing a new thing? God, I believe that new thing. And Father, God, it's not some emotional hype. It is true and it is real. And we will stand on your word together. So, Father, I'm just asking right now for your help in the hidden things and in the plain things. Things that people know about and things that only a couple or an individual knows about. Lord, answer those things. Shock and surprise them with how swift. With how swift. Put every evil thought out of your head that says, it's just one more prayer. Stop that. Stop that. And I pray it over you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All right, you can sit back down. I'm not done. Sit down. Mm. Here's the second one, and I'll finish it quick. He's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6. A son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. My pastor, Pastor Stalker, was here a month ago, a month and a half ago. Um, Pastor John, you know, pastors need pastors. One of the things, uh, Weather Jubilee is your home. 
you're visiting or you think you'll end up someplace else, or if you ever do end up someplace else, a piece of advice said from sincerity. Look at me real quick. Pastors need pastors. Wherever you go, find a pastor who has a pastor. Any pastor who's just out doing it by themselves is working in their own authority. They're not submitted to anybody. They don't have somebody speaking into their lives. You want someone under authority. Hear me on this. My pastor said this to me years ago in teaching me how to pastor. He said, John, when you're dealing with conflict and you're dealing with problems in your church, in your life, in your family, wherever, you need to ask yourself, what's the price of peace? So what does that mean, the price of peace? Amy goes, yes, because her and I have talked about this and we practice this. The price of peace sometimes is just simply humility. I'm sorry. And some people aren't willing to pay the price for peace. They won't say, I'm sorry. They won't apologize. Some people won't forgive another person so they don't have peace. If you lose something, you have to decide, do I need to get that back before I can have peace in my life or is the price of peace worth more to me than the thing I just lost? If you lost (laughs) $10,000, could you still have friendship with the guy He's still a very good friend of mine. I just don't give him any money anymore. (laughs) What's the price of peace? Dave, you remember Pastor John talking about this? The price of peace. What's the price of peace in your life? For us to have peace with God, it cost Jesus his life, and he was fully willing to pay for it. So the Bible says, no one takes my life from me. I voluntarily give it away because I love you that much. The first level of peace is spiritual peace. Do you want peace in your life? Peace with God is to come to the terms of reconciliation. When two people are at odds with each other and one has done the offending, we offended God with our sin. The Bible says all have fallen away. All have fallen short. All have turned their way and done their own thing. God made it possible for us to have peace with him by offering his son. Jesus has died for all sin ever committed, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But for us to have that peace, we have to accept the terms of peace, which is to say to God, I accept Christ. I accept the terms of peace. Forgive me and be merciful to me. It takes two people to be in reconciliation. In a marriage, you can't have one person who does it. That's the problem with the marriage, is that one person can always decide, I don't want to do this anymore, and you can't do anything about it, can you? You get the choice. And spiritually speaking, you get the choice. Jesus has made it possible. Do you want the terms of reconciliation? God, I need your mercy. I accept it in my life. And when you do that, then you can have reconciliation. That's the first level of spiritual peace. But peace in our lives is in order to have that, you've got to determine what the price of peace is. I felt like the Lord told me to ask you, if you lack peace, ask yourself, What's the price of peace? Is it forgiveness? Is it humility? Is it boundaries? Do you get what I'm saying? Is it a willingness to give more of yourself? In marriage, what's the price of peace? Married people, listen carefully. What's the price of peace in marriage? I need to be right. No? Yeah, you can be right. We call that being dead right. You're right, but everybody died. Yay. Yes or no? Do you know people like that? I was right. But you don't have a marriage. What's the price of peace with children sometimes? What's the price of peace to be pastor? To not be offended when everybody has advice for what it means to be lost. To know that people want your best. What's the price of peace? This one I don't feel like you're supposed to stand. I feel like it's private. Really the price of peace is sacrifice. Peace is costly. Our peace cost Jesus his life. And peace in your life will cost you something. 
it will cost you something. It might cost you a relationship. It might cost you money. And you know what? I can't decide for you if you're willing to pay the price of peace. I can only tell you what I'm willing to do. In my marriage, um, 17, 25 days will hit 39 years. That's pretty awesome to me, uh, especially because I think Chris can do it, but I didn't ever think I could do it. But God, but God. The price of peace in our relationship was a wife who could love unconditionally and could see what I couldn't even see at times. The price of peace, we talked about it this morning, was a commitment to never tell each other, I'm done. That's it, I'm out. We read a little devotional this morning that talked about those things and it asked, do you say these words to each other? And we could look at each other and honestly say, in the first few years of marriage, we did that, but we haven't done that for decades. No matter what happens, the price of peace is that we cling to each other. Sounds simple? <laughs> God, many people can't do it. The marriage is higher value to me than being right, than going my own way, than not working through difficulties. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying right now. That's why I'm stuck here. And when I look around, I'm not, I don't know anything, so if I stop on you, it's not an indictment of. <laughs> I promise it has nothing to do with you. No. That's the danger of. Often I'll close my eyes when I preach. I don't know if you ever noticed this because I don't want. What's the price of peace? And maybe you just have to decide whether or not you're willing to pay it. And if you just are like, hey, my own way is more important to me. I, that's between you and the Lord, not me, you and the Lord. If a future is important to you, it takes a great deal of being willing to be broken to achieve those things. And I can't decide if that's what you want or not. You have to decide. Do you get what I'm saying? So, Father, I just pray over that right now. Lord, to me, between the two things, needing wonderful counsel or deciding to pay the price for peace. So I'm going to say it. Listen. The price of peace is death. Something in you has to die in order to have peace sometimes. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your will. Maybe it's your selfishness. Maybe it's your own ambition. And I know what you're thinking, especially like in marriage. Well, if the other person would, I'm talking to you. And I don't know why I'm stuck on the marriage one right now. Because there's so many other things. But don't harden your heart. Don't turn a deaf ear. Don't say, Pastor... Good for you that you figured out how to work it out. We're as normal, have experienced <laughs> failure and selfishness and pride and mistakes and trying to do things the way we saw other people do it or the way that we thought was right. And God was kind enough that we heard the message that I'm teaching you right now the price of peace and before the Lord right now 
I really think the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what the price of peace is in your situation. The question really is, are you willing to pay it? God wants you to have peace in your life. Peace is huge. You want the contrast? For those of you who don't have peace, how important is peace? You can have money and not have peace. You can have reputation and not have peace. You can have a lot of people all around you and not have peace, and you can be so lonely and not have peace. Nothing is synonymous. But God wants you to have peace. Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I to you. I leave my peace with you. That's a real promise. Father, I claim that for people right now, especially during this season. God, I pray for a peaceful Christmas. I pray for a peaceful family. A peaceful marriage. Peaceful business. Peaceful health. Peaceful life. God, I pronounce that as your blessing on your people. And ask that the Prince of Peace would bring peace to us in this season. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.